0: We're going to talk about what I think is an interesting subject tonight, but before we do that, let me ask you a question, okay? How many of you have heard or read the book that's out called Heaven is for Real about the eight-year-old boy, okay? We're not going to talk about that tonight, but we are going to talk about near-death experiences next week, okay? And I I haven't read the book all the way, so I'm not going to comment on it tonight, I've had a couple of people in the church kind of ask me about it. So if you know people that have read that book, they're that interested in it, you can let them know. We're going to talk about it a little bit next week. And um, so just be aware of that. And then coming up in the near future, we're going to talk about the controversy over hell that is happening right now uh, among uh, pastors that claim to be strong believers in Christ. We're going to talk about Rob Bell's book, uh, Love Wins. The counter of that by a guy named Mark Galley called God Wins. And the counter to the counter of that by Francis Chan called Erasing Hell. And so we're going to be having that discussion. You don't have to read all of that, and I'm not going to read you the books, but just kind of tell you all about that, okay? So over the next couple of months, that's all before we get to the light subject of going through the book of Revelation together this fall, okay? So it's we're just trying to do some fluff stuff before we get there, okay? Um, but... Tonight, I, I want to start by, by talking about good news and bad news, all right? You ever had somebody come up and say, I've got some good news for you, and I've got some bad news for you, which one do you want first? Anybody ever had that happen or said that, all right? It's like two friends that uh, both love baseball, you may have heard about this, that they uh, wondered if there was baseball in heaven, and so they decided that uh, when the first one died, they were going to go ahead, and they were going to find out and come back and let the other one know, so... uh one of the friends died and went to heaven found out they were playing baseball, thought I've got to get back and tell my friend that was our agreement. He comes back and he says, Jack, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news for you. And he said, well, well what is it? He goes, well, it's about baseball and heaven. He goes, well, tell me. He said, they have baseball in heaven. That's the good news. He goes, well, what could be bad? What's the bad news? He said, well, you are scheduled to pitch Friday. All right. So, you know, there's good news and bad news. It's uh, like the. Husband that told his wife, I've got good news and I've got bad news. She said, well, there's, he goes, well, uh, I think I may be losing my voice. And she said, so what's the bad news, all right? That's not bad at all, all right? So we're going to talk today about the good news side of some bad news. Because sometimes we talk so much about the bad news that we forget the good news. When I was growing up, my mom worked at Dyersburg Fabrics, which was a textile plant. And her job was the administrative assistant, although back then they just called her secretary, secretary to the benefits coordinator at Dyersburg Fabrics. Dyersburg Fabrics was a place that did their own health care plan. They didn't outsource it. They did their own. Okay, And so mom was the secretary to the guy that coordinated that. Part of her job was to send flowers to anybody that had somebody in their family pass away. And so there were nights at the dinner table when we would say, Mom, we do not want to hear all of the death notices from Dyersburg Fabrics at the table tonight. Because there were times when at the table it just became, you are not going to believe who died today. And we'd spend our whole dinner conversation about bad things. And we want good news sometimes, okay? So over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about bad news kind of stuff. We've talked about evil and demons and The spiritual side of life that is bent on our destruction. And so tonight, we're going to flip that, and we're going to talk about spiritual beatings that aren't evil, or after our destruction. We're going to talk about angels, all right, and what Scripture teaches about that. Here's the deal. I've got about two and a half hours worth of stuff, okay, that I'm going (laughs) to cram into about 35 minutes, all right? I have several pages of notes, and I want you to interact, and so if you've got dinner plans on top of the dinner you've already eaten, or dessert plans, or any of that, you know, I'm sorry. All right? So, uh, what do you think about angels? What does our culture think about angels? What do they think is going on with angels? Guardians. Who said that? Oh, up there at the top. It's like... I didn't see anybody's mouth move in this area. <laughs> Maybe it was an angel. <laughs> all right? What else? What, what kind of the ideas out there about angels? That they're women. We don't know that yet. We'll get there, all right? That they're women or babies. You, know, you think about all the pictures of babies with clouds, on a, with wings on a cloud, not with clouds on a wing. That would be crazy wouldn't it all right what else what do people think about angels messengers who do people think angels are people that have died is a popular thing you know you die and you go and you become an angel right where do people learn about them where do they get these ideas tv what anything in particular yeah (laughs) near-death experiences books Movies. Anybody think of any movies that have had angels in them? Clarence, It's a Wonderful Life. There you go. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. So there is that little statement that is used every year at Christmas. People think that angels have to earn their standing. City of Angels. John Travolta was an angel, right? Typecasting there, right? He's just really an angel. How have the images of angels changed recently? You you may not kind of be aware of all this. It's interesting. the last two or three years, the movies that have come out about angels have been very dark. Um, Michael, that was, that was that's the Travolta one. Yeah, that was he was a bad angel, kind of bad. Yeah. but even like there was a movie, and I don't even remember what it was a couple of years ago a year ago, but that angels were coming to destroy the earth. Legion, that's what it was, yeah. Angels were coming to destroy the earth, and they were like fierce warriors. You'd been happy with that, Carol. They were warriors, but they were, God had kind of just told them, just go destroy everything, okay? So it's interesting to see all of that. There was a resurgence in angels in popularity in the 80s, really. Uh, There was a TV show that came on that had Touched by an Angel. Michael Landon was in that. Um, Back then, I don't know whether you all remember this or not, but it was a big deal. Oprah donated. She had a huge collection of angels that she donated to a museum. So people were kind of interested in it. And in the midst of all of that, what began to happen is kind of what people wanted to think about angels and a new age kind of understanding and a biblical understanding, and just whatever, all begin to kind of flow in together. So what I want to do tonight is talk about, okay, so what what does the Bible say about it? What have Christians thought about it? Uh, these are the way we're going to answer it. I'm going to give you the structure. We're going to talk about what Christians have kind of thought in the last four or 500 years, what the Bible says, what the Bible says about who they are, and what the Bible says about what they do. Okay? So that's our game plan, and it's, it's a little bit of a baloney sermon, which means I can cut it off at any of those points, and it doesn't lose anything, all right? and so if I need to come back, we'll come back to it, All right, but we, hopefully we'll get through all of that tonight, and uh, if I see anybody glazing over and passing out in the pew or something, we'll take that as a sign to move on, all right? um, but here's, let's talk first of all about kind of a general history. Of what people have said. Here's the first thing you need to understand. Um, Nicholas Burdoff, Who is a systematic theologian. Said that no one who bows. Before the authority of the word of God. Can doubt the existence of angels. He says if you believe the word of God. Is the word of God. If the Bible is the word of God. It's authoritative. It is true. You can't dismiss angels. Okay, But having said that. Theologians haven't quite agreed on. Well, what does that mean? Now, I don't want to go all the way back to the church fathers shortly after Jesus, but we're going to pick it up in the Middle Ages. In the Middle Ages, what was going on was something called speculative angelology. Now, I know you came tonight saying, "I hope he talks about speculative angelology." That's what I hope. All right. And so tomorrow, when you're asked at work or you're you're on the phone, what y'all do? Did y'all have church? Oh, we had church. We talked about speculative angelology. Is what we talked about here's what i mean by that they spent a lot of time interested in the spiritual realm okay so much so that they became obsessed by it in almost every aspect of their life what's a strange characteristic of medieval churches you know the churches i'm talking about the cathedrals there's some there's something really strange that you find on those churches gargoyles right why were there gargoyles there they warded off the evil spirits okay now i want you to imagine for a moment we're, we're in the process of um, working through renovation stuff and architects are looking and we're designing things i want you to imagine for a moment that i walked in and said this is the plant Everywhere you see a light spire is going to be a sculpture of a ferocious dog with his fangs bared so that he is going to ward off the evil spirits from this place. Yeah, (laughs) some people would be like, that is awesome, man. I cannot believe we're going to do that. (laughs) And I told that at the four o'clock Bible study and Miss Jean Ingram just said, bye bye. That's all she said, right? <laughs> because that's what would happen, all right? No matter how many of you thought it was cool, it'd be like, he has lost it. We are, right? But would you look at those great cathedrals? I mean, masterpieces of architecture include gargoyles. In fact, in some of them, they originally had them in the choir loft. I don't know if that was because they thought more evil spirits landed in the choir loft, or they just were making sure those people didn't have them, but... They, they were really concerned about it. And they began to ask these kind of strange questions. Like, um, can an angel be in more than one place at a time? How many angels can you fit? No. <laughs> Nor a clown car, but on the tip of a needle. <laughs> yeah. How many? Uh, the idea was, do they take up space? Do they interact with space the way we do? I mean, literally, there were these people that came up with questions about how big and how small and how much space and could they be in two places? How did they travel? Did they fly? How does the spirit world interact with the physical? They even asked questions like, well, okay. What was the length of... They tried to come up with formulas to determine the length of time between their creation and their fall. The demons. So you had all of these people coming up with these speculative thoughts about it. And then this thing happens called the Reformation. And in the Reformation, the idea was we have gotten away from the Bible and we've moved to asking ourselves questions about tradition and other stuff, it's time to get back to a biblical understanding of everything. And so they didn't start asking questions about how many can fit on the head of a needle. They didn't ask questions about, well, can they be in two places at once, or how do they travel? They just said, what does the Bible say about them? Reformation theologians tended to um, confine their work to systematizing the biblical material concerning angels. Now, the one that systematized the most was a guy named John Calvin. You've probably heard his name. And this is what he said about angels. He said, they are ministering spirits whose service God uses for the protection of his own and through whom he both dispenses his benefits among men and also carries out his remaining works. So you had the speculative, you had the people trying to bring it back to the Bible, and then this thing happened called the Enlightenment. Now, I know we're stretching into your history minds here, but what was the Enlightenment about? That's good. That's good history there. Anybody know what the Enlightenment was about? It's when science began to flourish. Francis Bacon came up with the scientific method. The Enlightenment meant that human beings came out of the dark ages and suddenly have been enlightened with new understanding. Well, the problem was when they started to do that, they started to say, well, things like angels can be explained away. And they came up with this theory that was around for a while called Occam's Razor. Anybody ever heard of Occam's Razor? George Hagen said he's heard of Gillette and Schick, but not Occam. All right. Uh, Occam's Razor said, and this is what it the actual that entities are not to be multiplied beyond necessity. That's exactly what you were thinking, I know. And here's what it means. It means if you can explain something naturally, don't try to come up with a supernatural explanation. And so, one by one, they started knocking down these stories of angels and miracles and God. And they came to a point where they didn't believe in it. In fact, a guy named, if you're looking for a good name for a kid, Schleimarker. Schleimarker, Said this. The belief in angels was undeniably part of Christian tradition. Yet in our modern world, it is humiliating. And so they just said they don't exist. Enlightenment undermining of angels paralleled a loss of understanding of demons. And so, as one guy said, generations of socially oriented theologians dismissed the devil. Demons, angels, as superstitious relics of little importance to the Christian message. And it looked like they were gone. And then this strange thing happens in the mid to late 20th century. Angels become popular again. Now, one of the reasons was that Western societies began to have contact with non-Western societies. We started to re-engage the Amazon culture where strange things were happening we started to see people in indonesia that had supernatural things that we couldn't explain happening another thing this is kind of interesting but another reason that people got interested in angels is because the 50s and the 60s and the 70s brought a brand new interest in extraterrestrial beings people from outer space that continues to this day Right? One of the biggest movies of this summer is a movie called Super 8, and it's a movie about being in the 60s, and I don't want to ruin the whole movie if you haven't seen it, but aliens come to Earth, all right? Um, in the 80s, when I was growing up, it was the movie E.T., okay? It was E.T. phone home, okay? And so this idea in the supernatural or other beings or something led people to suddenly get involved in thinking about angels. And then the New Age movement came along that started talking about um, spirit being in everything and um, talking about Mother Earth and the spirit of Mother Earth and paying homage to the spirit of living things. And people began to get interested in this spiritual. and they, they, They got dissatisfied with just everything being physical. They wanted some kind of spiritual experience. And so we come to a place now where people are pretty interested in this kind of stuff but we don't really have a good grasp on what it is. You've got your Bibles, turn to Psalm 103. We're going to jump around a little bit. We're not going to be in one place. I want to talk first about what the Bible says, and we're going to look first at the biblical terminology. So what words were used, then we're going to look at where angels came from, what they're like, and what they do. Okay. give you an idea. According to one scholar, numbers differ a little bit here, but one scholar... um, has said that in the Old Testament, there are 108 references in 17 books to angels. And in the New Testament, there are 165 references in 17 books to angels. What's interesting is, there are 39 books in the Old Testament. There are 27 books from our children's Sunday school teacher who teaches that, 27 books in the New Testament. And so you see... And the Old Testament is much longer than the New Testament, right? The Old Testament is much longer. But you see more references in the New Testament. Okay? In the Old Testament, there was a word that was the word malach. Okay? Yeah, I apologize. Malach. And it meant messenger. Okay? And it's used of human messengers, like in Haggai one thirteen, but... In the Old Testament, predominantly, it refers to heavenly messengers. Places like Genesis 28-12 or Psalm 78-49 or Psalm 91:11 or Zechariah 2-3. In either case, it is a word that talks about someone bringing a message on behalf of another. In Psalm 103-20. Now, Psalm 103 um, is a psalm you may be familiar, especially the first part. It's one of those psalms that people Read a lot of the first part, but they may not finish the whole psalm. Psalm 103 is the one. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Let me praise his holy name. Praise the Lord and forget not his benefits. For he forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases and redeems your life from the prick, crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things. So that your youth is renewed like eagles. All right, That's, We like all that. But we sometimes forget what comes at the end of this chapter. Verse 19 says this, and then we'll go to 20. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, his malach, you mighty ones who do his bidding, you who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in this dominion. Praise the Lord, all oh my soul. So what the psalmist does here is he talks about, I need to praise him because of what he's done for me. But then he kind of says, but my praise isn't enough. My praise is only part of it. And we have to remember this. This might be the one thing that you kind of pull out of tonight. We are not the sole intelligent beings that God has ever created. And we are not sufficient even in our praise to give Him the glory He deserves. But we are part of that story. So the psalmist says, my praise isn't enough, so all you angels praise Him. And then he just kind of says, and if I missed anybody, let me say, let everything that He has ever created praise His name. Now there are other Old Testament words used for um, angelic beings. Things like the cherub in Genesis and in Exodus, like the holy ones in Psalm and Job, like the heavenly host in First Kings 29, like the watcher in Daniel 4, the sons of God in Job 1 and 2, and the seraphim in Isaiah chapter 6. But the point is, it's there a lot. Now in the New Testament, anybody know the word in the New Testament for that we get angel from? Angelos. A-N-G-E-L-O-S. We just take the OS off, all right? And so it's angels. That's why Los Angeles is the city of angels, all right? Los Angeles. Um, Angelos is the word, and it is meant of messenger. The, the way that the Greeks would use it in the non-biblical way is almost like a mailman um, or a Western Union messenger, uh, somebody that connects or creates. I was thinking about this today. I don't know why, I I guess I was thinking about how I communicate with Susan now compared to when uh, 15 years ago, or or, 13 years ago when I went for the first time to Brazil. And uh, 13 years ago, you had to get an operator on the phone. Y'all remember that? When you used to have to get an operator, like an actual person who would then connect you and say, who can I tell them is making a collect call? And it's, you remember that? And I was thinking, my sons, if I told them, like, I had to get an operator on the, well, why didn't you just call them? Well, I mean, you had, well, why did you need that? You know, they just aren't going to understand that at all. Uh, I, I know what brought it up. I was listening to the radio and that, it was a Jim Croce that sang that song, Operator. Can you help me make a call, right? Like, well, why do you need somebody to help you? But anyways, they were kind of the operators, the people in the middle that took a message from one place to another. I know I got way off track, but I'm coming back, all right? So they, they, they were the messengers. So in the New Testament, they take that word that means messenger in the Greek culture, and they apply it to spiritual beings who do the bidding of God. So they are in the New Testament everywhere. In Matthew 24, 36, there are the angels of the heaven. In Luke 9, 26, there are holy angels. There are other words in Hebrews 1, 14, they talk about spirits. There are principalities in Romans 8.38. There are powers in Colossians 1.16. Living creatures in Revelation 4. That all are described as these angels. In fact, there are a couple of places where the angels are named. Just in case we don't think that they're real, they have names, right? What are the two angels' names that we have in Scripture? Michael and Gabriel, right? Um, Michael is referred as the great prince in Daniel. The archangel in Jude 9, um, he is the one who is in charge over the host of angels who prevail in battle over Satan and the apocalypse in Revelation chapter 12. Uh, the angel Gabriel is found in Daniel, where he is the heavenly messenger sent to interpret Daniel's vision. And in Luke, where he delivers the message of answered prayer to Zechariah, he brings the message of the birth to Mary in the city of Nazareth. So you have these messengers of God. That's what they are, okay? That doesn't tell us the full understanding of who they are because that still leaves some questions. Okay, where did they come from? Well, here's the thing we know from Scripture. They have not always been. They are created beings. God created them. Um, Psalm 148 says, Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise them, let the name of the Lord. For He commanded and they were created. Okay. So you've got that. And then in John 1, 1 3, the word created all things. And in Colossians 1, 6, it tells us that those all things included visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. The idea there is the angelic world. So we know they're created beings. Here's the second thing we know. We know they were created before day one. Okay? Genesis 1, 1, what does it say? In the beginning God created Heavens and the earth. Okay? The the understanding that we have there is not just that God created us, the earth. The understanding is he created all that was created. But when we get to Genesis 2 and Genesis 1, we find out that there seems to be this creation that's happening for us, but that the angels have kind of already been there. When? When? I don't have a clue. How? God only knows. But he created them before. Now, here's the thing. We know that by Genesis 3, he has had to create them and some of them have had to rebel. Right? Because by Genesis 3, what happens? Temptation from Satan. So we know by Genesis chapter 3, they have been created and have fallen at some point, at least part of them. And so we know all that's happened beforehand. Genesis 1-1 is best understood as including the entire universe. And then even in Job, in Job 38, it says that the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy in celebration of God's creation of the earth which sons of God there almost assuredly talks about the angels. And so as the world's being created, they are already rejoicing with God over it. Now, here's the thing for you to understand. There is no timeline in Scripture about what all happened there. And we don't need one. So don't try to come up with one. All right? There have been people that have spent lifetimes trying to do that, and it is all vanity. There's no need to try. You just trust. But the point there is that they are created before we get here. Okay? Somebody says, "Well, why didn't God just like give us an appendix to the Bible? Appendix A, angels." Okay? Here's everything you want to know about angels. Here's the reason. The Bible's not about angels. It's about God and his relationship to us. Maybe they have an angel Bible. I don't know. It's possible, right? But that's not the point of the story. And if he would have told us everything about the creation of the angels in the first chapter of Genesis, there would be people that all they would do is talk about the creation of the angels. And God's point is there is for us to understand about our place in this world. So what can we learn about the Bible, not just from their creation, but who they are? Well, it, it tells us that they're personal spirits. They're personal beings. Job 38, they express emotions. They render worship. They engage humans in conversation. And they come to Joseph or they come to Mary or they uh, render like render worse, They make moral choices because you have some that have fallen and some that aren't. Angels are spiritual beings. They don't normally appear in human form. Hebrews 1.14 says that they're sent forth to minister to those. Jesus taught that angels never marry nor die. It is true that in... uh, This is one of those delicate things you have to say here. It is true that Scripture always refers to angels in the masculine. So as Carol said, there are no female angels. But at the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean that they even have gender. They don't uh, reproduce. They don't marry. They don't have kids. You have the same number of angels now as you did when they were created. They are, um, they will not die, but that doesn't mean they have immortality like God because immortality suggests no beginning nor no end. Um, we use it just to mean nobody will ever die. But the same amount of angels are here today as were when creation. They're not all in the same condition because some have fallen. Okay? And so... That's who they are in their person. In appearance, they're often glorious. In fact, when they appear, God's bright glory is often around them. Uh, Luke talks about when the shepherds appear, or when the shepherds appear, when the angels appear to the shepherds. If the shepherds appear, that's another story, right? When the angels appear to the shepherd, it says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, right? Well, the only time you ever use the word "shone," right? The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Um, the psalmist in Psalm 104 speaks of the angels of God as flames of fire. In the apocalyptic vision of John in Revelation, he says the angel, an angel made the earth bright with his glory, and angels appearing in brightness manifest the glorious brilliance of a holy God from whose presence they have been sent. Okay, People freak out when they see angels. Um, it's not like Pull up a chair and let's have a little conversation or come on in everybody's welcome it is i'm on the ground scared all right um i was trying to think um you ever had one of those moments in your life when i, I don't know maybe you thought you heard something or something happened and you just get scared and maybe you maybe get on the ground or you know i remember um being out in the country one day when i when i was young and a car backfired but i don't know why i thought but i thought it's a gunshot and i i, I went face first into the ground all right when people see angels it's like they've heard a gunshot and they go to the ground the reality is they ain't heard a gunshot because they didn't have gunshots back then in the bible but you know what i mean they just are frightened and they go and so there's this glorious intimidating presence um that's why a lot of the contemporary depictions of angels are just off, because most of them you want to cuddle with. I'm talking about the contemporary images. You don't get frightened of. If you walk into the Hallmark store and buy you an angel to put on your mantle, you're not buying one that's going to scare you, right? right? You're buying the sweet little angels, all right? Or the precious moments angels, or what's the willow tree Angels, right? They've got their wings and wire behind them, right? Okay. They're glorious. In intellect, they're wise but not omniscient. So they have thoughts and they're wise, but they don't know everything. Jesus said in Luke 24 that, or Matthew 24, excuse me, the day of the hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. So they know a lot. They don't know all. In power, they're strong, but not omnipotent. So they're powerful, yes, but they don't have all power. They're not God in that way. Peter states directly that angels are greater in power and might than humans. When the Son of Man comes in glory to judge the nations, he will be accompanied by his holy angels who will assist in the administration of his judgment. Limitations on their power are seen in their struggles in spiritual warfare, though. Job 1, 12, Daniel 10, 13, Jude 9, Revelation 12, 7. They have struggles. In presence, they may be in many places, but not omnipresent is what Scripture suggests. It's impossible to explain the details of how a spiritual being interacts with physical realm and time. But it seems in Scripture... That they move from one place to another, and sometimes it involves delays, but sometimes it's almost as if they're there at the same time. Like in Daniel nine twenty one or Daniel 10, 10-14, they're limited, their presence, because they're finite and created. But they have more freedom in space and time than we do. And I don't know how to explain it better than that. It's almost as if um, they have the abilities that we always dream about. When they want to go somewhere, they don't have to jump in a car or a plane. Right? They just go. We ju- I just traveled three hours back from Dyersburg in a car with my kids. And there are times I'd like to just go. you with me? You know? Susan and the rest of our team spent 24 hours traveling to Brazil. I'd love to be able to just go, right? Beam me up, Scotty, right? That's what I would like. And angels seem to have this kind of ability. They don't have to... Angels don't have to hail a cab, no matter what John Travolta's movie makes us think, right? They don't have to hail a cab. They just go, okay? So, and in status, they're more glorious than man. Psalm 8 suggests that angels have a more glorious status in the Creator order than man. In Psalm 8, uh, 5, it says, You have made him, man, a little lower than heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Perhaps the angels are more glorious than man in what they bear, a more immediate and brilliant display of their Creator's glory. Whatever it is, Paul asserts the saints will one day judge the angels. And so it's this kind of strange juxtaposition that they are somehow greater than us, but we will judge them. Um, these angels may be the evil ones judged by Christ and his saints. It may be that we get to have a part in sentencing or judging the demons. Uh, Whatever that is. That's that. Alright, so what do they do? You tell me, what are some things angels do? So what were they doing there, though? Well, besides, yeah, messengers, they were messengers, but... I want to get into some specifics of what that means. Okay. So what were they doing with Lot and Abraham and all that? What were they doing there? They came to destroy. So they, so in one way, you're right. They came as agents of God and carrying out his judgment. David, you're right. They came to try to protect God's people, God's chosen ones, Abraham and Lot, who's the luckiest man on earth because he happened to be related to Abraham. And Abraham said, I want you to be with me right so he's trying to protect him cuz lot didn't deserve it so you've got that so you've got protection of of god's people you've got agents of judgment about the child to be they they still serve that that function that we talked about direct messengers from god okay anything else i got about 8 so y'all got 3 what's that they wrestle they do that can kind of be carrying out God's judgment, and uh, and they're pretty good. We're actually, we'll actually, we won't have time tonight, but at some point we'll talk about who that was wrestling with him. That's a very good question, and we'll answer it sometime. The question was, when it says entertaining angels unaware, do you, does that mean in a human form, or what does that mean? That, surely I don't mean to cut it off, but we'll talk about, yeah. I, I don't want to give just a short, quick answer there. All right, here we go. Here's some things they do. Next week, we'll talk about near-death experiences and what it means to entertain angels, okay? And whether they like the good china or the not good china, right, when you entertain them. So they, they fight in spiritual warfare, right? Here you go. Here's what I got. They carry messages from God. We've talked about that, okay? They give guidance and instruction. They deliver people from danger. They view human affairs, so they watch human things happening. Um, he he taught, you know that's an interesting thing because Paul talks about in one Corinthians four nine about where the Corinthians thought that to be right with God meant that you had this exalted status, and Paul says, but God has decided to make the apostles last of all, so much so that we have become a spectacle, which is not a good word to the world. Both to angels and to men. They protect God's people. They provide strength and encouragement. Elijah was running from Jezebel. And it tells us in 1 Kings 19, as he prayed, Elijah fell asleep. He was awakened by an angel touching him and telling him to get up and eat. They execute judgment. Jesus gave uh, the wheat and the tares and talked about it. And in there um, that his angels, his angels will do the judging. In the book of Revelation, angels do execute divine judgment. They praise God. Isaiah chapter 6, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You get in revelation, the 24 elders, the angels, the redeemed of the Lord, all praising God together. They guard believers. Um, Here's a little side note. People say, well, do I have a guardian angel? Scripture teaches that part of the job that angels do is they guard us. But it doesn't say that we each have our own individual guardian angels. And I think that's a good thing. We don't have Clarence who's watching out for us when we yell out, I wish I'd never been born, okay? The reason that's a good thing is... what Scripture teaches is that we have as many angels As our disposal at a moment that God seems ne- Deems necessary So you don't have a guardian angel You have guardian angels Now that doesn't mean that they're all assigned to you Right now It may mean that right now you've got a bunch assigned to you Because of what you're going through It may mean that you're just coasting for a little while uh, I don't know how that works Really But I'd rather have the availability of a bunch Than you just, you stuck What if you get a bad one. You just got. <laughs> so, all right. I've heard people blame their guardian angels when they have something to happen to them. Well, if you were watching out, we need to talk about your biblical understanding of angels. But that's not the time to do it, generally, when they're in the hospital hurting. All right. So here's the summary of all that. The Bible clearly presents the angels as worshipers and messengers. They do God's bidding. They assist him and his people. They themselves have never sinned and therefore never experienced God's saving grace. But their ministries towards humans who did have been redeemed are abundant. The many activities they have, two of the main ones are their ministry for God and they praise of God. Okay, so they deliver messages from God to individuals. They guide and instruct God's people. They deliver them from danger and death. They observe human affairs. They protect God's people. They provide strength and encouragement. And they execute divine judgment on the deserving. All right? So let me give you an overview. And I'm going to save another topic for next week. We're building topics next week. All right. Let me give you an overview from creation to reconciliation. So at creation, they are there. They were created before the earth was created, it seems. But they were created. At some point, many of them rebelled, and they fell. And for whatever reason, God did not institute that we know of a redemption plan for the angels. But his angels led us astray, the fallen ones. And God did begin a redemption plan for us. Now, the angels are not directly involved with the redemption plan in as much as they pay for it, because that is Jesus and Jesus alone. But they are instructed with protecting us once we have become a follower of Jesus Christ. It seems, then, Scripture, what you see is that angels are protective of God's people. That's important, because our world acts as if angels are protective of everyone. But they are protective of God's people. As time moves towards its completion, the angels will be fighting spiritual warfare on our behalf and for the glory of God from now until the completion of time. And when Jesus comes, he will bring with him the heavenly host. not the little babies on the cloud, but fearsome warriors who will come and defeat Satan in the final battle and secure with Jesus as the leader of them all the victory once and for all for God. And what we need to understand is we never worship them, we never focus on them. What we understand is, though, we are not alone in the creation of God. We are not alone in the creation of intelligent beings of God. And we can be thankful. For spending two weeks talking about the ones that rebelled. That we have the ones that are faithful. Continually fighting on our behalf. And we can go in the assurance of that. Alright. Next week. Three topics we're going to talk about. Did an eight year old boy go to heaven? And come back to tell us about it in a book that has now sold two million copies. Who is the angel of the Lord that appears in the Old Testament a lot? And, what was the other one? Oh, how do you entertain angels unaware?